Hello and good day, Scott Bruder. Glory to God on the go. We have got another fantastic episode. Today is going to be day two of the armor of God. So if you remember last week, we started with the basic, the 22,000 foot view of the armor of God. And uh, we went through Ephesians 6, 10 through about 18. And, um, and so we kind of like 22,000 foot view. So today we're going to zoom in a little bit more and talk about uh, the individual pieces. Um, again, why we need the armor, the, the battles that we're going to be fighting, the spiritual battles that we're going to be fighting. So just to kind of review a little bit, <clears throat> Paul was in the Roman prison for two years. And so he got to write four of his books that are in the Bible um, while he was there. And one of them was Ephesians. Ephesians is actually a great book of the Bible. It, it talks, it, it teaches you so much about, um, you know, just the, the humanity and, and who we are and, and what we should be doing and trying to better our lives, uh, what our children should be doing and so forth. So, but specifically in Ephesians 6, starting at 10, he starts talking about the armor of God and why we should be wearing it. So um, we're gonna jump right in. And um, I've got some really good notes that I wanna share with everybody. But we talked about this last week, and one of the things that, uh, that I mentioned, but I'm, I wanna bring it up again, is what do we need, or I'm sorry. Well, yeah, what do we need the armor for anyway? Why do we need the armor? What, what good is it going to do for us? Now, if you remember, when Paul was in, prison for those two years, he got to spend a lot of time with the Roman soldiers. So he got to see what they would wear when they'd go into battle. And so he kind of used that as a metaphor to, to develop the spiritual armor. So we're going to jump into right here. So in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, it says, we are hard pressed on every side. That means things are coming at us as, as a human being and living on this earth. Things are coming at us from all different directions, right? Yet not crushed. We were perplexed, sometimes confused, sometimes um, annoyed, right? But not in despair. Persecuted, people were telling us we did this or we shouldn't do this or if you do this, that's going to happen and so forth and so on, but not forsaken. We were struck down, but not destroyed. So, and how is that? As Christians, we're expected to withstand incredible pressures of life here on earth. And, and how are we going to do that? How are we going to defend ourselves? Um, how can we possibly stand up against everything that the world has to throw at us and still expect to emerge victorious? Well, the good thing is as you continue to read through the Bible is you're going to understand that the battle's already won. At the very end of all of this, Satan is defeated. God and Jesus win. And we live eternity in peace and in joy and in love. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Oh, by the way, wearing my faith, my shield of faith shirt today to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's part of Ephesians. We're going to get into the shield of faith today. Um, okay, so actually, no, that's going to be next week. Uh, so the answer that of how we're going to defend ourselves and how we are going to defeat uh, the arrows and, and the devil. The answers do not lie within us. We don't have the answers. We can't put our hands around what those answers are. 
right? However, the divine and unbeatable defense of the armor of God that he gives us, that he bestows on us, that we learn to use on a regular basis, that armor that Paul talks about and wrote about and shares with us is what is going to protect us. We're going to talk a little bit about how Paul got that. Not just Paul, but all the prophets and, and, and the gospels and how all these men uh, and, and, and people got the word um, that, that God uh, shared with them. So, and again, that the armor is an amazing metaphor uh, for the action that we need to take in our spiritual lives. And that Paul does a great job setting the scene for us um, because we are fighting a war. And the stakes couldn't be any higher. If we lose this war and we lose our own personal war, the result of that is, you know, the pit of hell, right? And so we want to make sure that we're doing the things that we need to do to make sure that we are fighting this fight, okay? Um, there has never been in this, in this particular time that we're living in too, the fight is actually on. And it, it hasn't been more important than now in our lives in this generation to continue to every morning, wake up, give your thanks to the Lord, put your armor on, be prepared for what the day is going to throw at you. Because the news, internet, people are talking into your ear gates and things that you're seeing on TV or seeing out in the world. Oh my gosh, those things can get in you and they can plant seeds in you then you start getting frustrated and you start getting mad and you get really angry. And the next thing you know, that leads to bitterness, resentment, hatred, murder. And again, not talking about murder, but murder with your mind. And when in, in the Bible says, if you murder with your mind, you've murdered in, in, in reality, right? So we don't want to do that. We don't want those spirits to get in us. <clears throat> Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is not Joe, Mary and, and, and Sue and Bob. Okay. We don't fight against humans. We fight against a much more fearsome opponent that knows us much better than we know ourselves. It's described in Ephesians 6.10. Our adversary, Satan the devil, and his host of demons, his little team, right, of bad guys, have a single divine purpose. That single divine purpose is to obliterate the children of God, all of the believers. He's already, the non-believers the, 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 the sinful, the unrighteous, he's already got them, right? He doesn't need to mess with them. He's already got them. God is trying to get them, us as good Christians. We are trying to get them too out of that pit, right? But the devil wants nothing more than to defeat and bring down and put bonds on and put chains on and put a yoke on every single Christian out there that believes in God and is trying to follow in the, in the same path and be on the path to not stray off of the path where demons are lying and, and lurking, right, in the bushes to get us. He, the devil wants us to get off the path. And obviously God wants us to stay on it. Faced with the cares of this world, we can easily forget about the severity of what this battle is. But make no mistake, our spiritual lives and the future in God's kingdom is on the line. And we don't want to put that on the line. We're going to keep fighting, right? If we lose this war, we lose everything, okay? So 
we are not going to lose this war and we're going to kick butt and take names. But we are facing overwhelming odds. As human beings, we have a sinful nature. So we have to fight not only internally, but we have to fight externally against those forces of evil that aren't the humans. They are. It's not the flesh and blood. It's the spiritual forces that we're going to fight against. Okay? But putting on all of God's armor, which we are going to experience piece by piece over the next couple weeks, we are doing and we are assuring the fact that we're going to be able to withstand the enemy's onslaught. <clears throat> so we're going to get right into, and I'm going to talk about Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. People, we need to wake up. We need to see what's going on, right? Do you see what the devil is doing to this earth? Look what's going on in Portland. Look what's going on in, in Chicago. Look what's going on in New York. My goodness, it is happening right now. Prophecies are being filled. Bad things are happening. My goodness, President Trump just allowed, um, or just allowed, he helped get the peace treaty between the Israelites and the UAE. The UAE, yeah. That is so crazy. No one ever thought that that was going to happen. But you know what? If you read prophecy about what's happening in the end days, pay attention, wake up, because it's coming. And it's actually kind of exciting, to be honest with you. So I'm sorry. Uh, wake up. Awake out of your sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Get rid of the demons. Get rid of the bad stuff. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Because day and night, we know what night's for. We know what day is. Light and darkness. They don't commune with each other, right? You don't have nighttime when you have daytime, okay? Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. The armor is putting on Jesus so you can fight those battles. Because remember what happened when Jesus was in uh, the, the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted three times. And he, devil, back off, man. You ain't getting me. So if we do that for ourselves, that's putting on the armor of Jesus, right? That's putting on the light in us. So we emulate that. The passage, this passage reveals both the wearing of the armor and of God's synonymous with having the character of God and that this armor cannot be worn if we are still wearing the works of darkness. Makes sense, doesn't it? A lifestyle of sin that separates us from God. And in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, 1 through 2 and we said that, talked about this last week, behold, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Do you know what that means? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that if, if we continue to sin and we continue to do the things that we shouldn't be doing, he's not going to hear us because we're living in the sinful nature that we were born into, but we keep doing it. So if we turn away from it and we ask him to help us, he's going to hear us. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're here on earth, we're walking in the flesh, we know it. We do not war according to the flesh. We war in the spirit. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that is says or, or uh, commands your attention that you put it higher than God, you have committed idolatry first, but it's also dark. So you want to obviously cut that out. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So when you get thoughts, anger, rage, frustration, anxiety, capture them. Okay, capture them with scripture. There are tons of really good scriptures to defeat any of those arrows that the devil's slinging at you. And that, you know, we'll talk about that after the next week when we finish up the armor of God. So let's, let's get right into it. In these passages, Paul calls it the armor of righteousness and reveals its purpose. We put on the armor and strength of God to effectively wage war against our enemy. And who's our enemy again? The devil. Without it, we are helpless. But with it, we are soldiers of the living God. And yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That little last part was Romans 8.37, which I really like that part. So let's talk about the belt of truth. We talked a little bit of last week that it obviously it holds our scabbard that we put our sword in, it holds our dagger, it, it, holds, it holds our clothes together so we can move quicker. We can lift up um, our, our, our uniform, we can tuck it in there so we can run faster, we can be a little bit more agile. So the first piece of the armor that Paul mentions in Ephesians 6.14 is the belt of truth, whose purpose did the belt, what purpose did the belt serve for a Roman soldier? Well, um, what purpose does the belt of truth serve for us? And what is meant by the belt of truth? And how does it apply to us through what the Bible says? Let's talk about that. Remember, the belt of truth. So we're going to talk a lot about what John and, and Jesus and what uh, the, the uh, apostles say about truth. So Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God the Father with Jesus is the truth. Then Jesus goes on to say in 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When he says your word is truth, he's talking about God's word. What's in the Bible. The truth. It's all throughout the Bible. So Jesus praying to the Father gives a clear and straightforward definition of truth. God's word is the truth. I may repeat myself, but I want you to understand and get the point, right? The Holy Bible, the scripture, the word of truth was given by inspiration of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the Greek, it, it, it talks about the inspiration of God. But the Greek expression translated inspiration of God literally means God breathed. He actively and fully inspired the Bible to reveal his truth to the apostles who wrote it and the prophets and all the way back from uh, Moses, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the, the New Testament. Everything that is written in the Bible was God breathed, inspired by the Lord, by the way that he 
talked into their ears with that small, still voice. The visions that he gave them. The dreams that he gave them. God wrote the Bible through these men and through these prophets and through these apostles so we could have today what God meant for us to have. And I'm sure there's probably a lot more that we wouldn't know about. But if it's from this beginning of the Bible, between that cover and the back cover, it's truth. It was given to us from God, which I know for some may be hard to believe, but it's the most popular book in the world. And it's sold more than any other book in the world. And it's been around longer than any book in the world. So there's got to be, I mean, our, 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 our calendar and our dates and, and our time begins B.C., A.C., right? Or A.D., Anno Domini, which means after Christ, right? Our, t- our, our whole calendar is based on what happened with Jesus. So what does truth have to do with a belt? Well, that's good. Let's try to find out about that. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things and hold fast what is good. So hold fast. What does the belt do? It holds your clothes fast. It holds your pants up. It holds your pants up fast, right? But this is this means more than that. You got to hold fast to what prophets are telling you, what people are telling you. You got to test everything to what the Bible says. So if someone prophesies over you, you've got to go to the Bible and make sure and double check that what they're saying, right? Because they should be using some scripture in there. And and they, they should be telling you something that you can back it up with what the Bible says. Okay. The Bible tells us our lives. We know that, right? As Christians, we are to test all things, then hold on only to what is good, right? You shouldn't uh, absorb prophecy from someone that says something bad to you because it should be uplifting, right? It should be giving you um, some uh, some good thoughts. It should be pointing you in the right direction, okay? The truth discarding all else needs to be discerned by you through what the Bible says. The truth by testing it, what the Bible tells us, we are able and we can be like the barons who searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Acts 17, 11. And if we are not convinced that our principles and beliefs are without exception, 100% true, if we don't believe that it is 100% true, then how can we expect to accomplish anything? It's interesting. You know how a belt encompasses us, right? It, you wrap it all around, you tighten it, and what does it do? It produces conviction um, for what we need and how we need to move forward with the next thing that either a prophet or someone tells us, right? We've got to pay attention to that. The belt used in Roman armor, as we have learned, provides a place for the soldier's sword, our sword and the sword of the spirit, word of God right? Likewise needs a sheath. Truth is vital because like a Roman soldier's belt, it allows us to carry the sword of the spirit and use it effectively. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, tighten up your mind, be sober, reset hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Not talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means as you start thinking more on the Bible, you start thinking more and talking more to God, he is going to help strengthen your mind, 
tighten it up so you're not letting things come in through your ear gates and eye gates. You can repent, rebuke, get it out, right? Tighten it up. So just like you tighten up a belt around your waist, this is what the belt did for them. Peter used an interesting analogy. Gird up the loins of your mind. This implies tucking in long garments. This is talking about a Roman soldier. Tucking in long garments to be ready to move quickly. It translates in the New International Version to prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. When you put that armor on in the morning, you're preparing your mind for action. Tighten up that belt. Okay? What are the dangers of not wearing the belt? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renew your mind. Read the Bible every day, all day. The world we live in teaches the truth is what we make it. I talked to you a little bit last week about, you know, I'm in sales, so I used to make the truth what I wanted it to be, right? That good and bad are relative and that there are no absolutes. Only equally valid opinions. The Bible is not opinions. And the Bible teaches that truth is God's word. That good and bad are defined by him and that there are eternal and unchangeable absolutes uninfluenced by anyone's opinion. Paul wrote to the Romans telling them to not be conformed to this world. Part of that means not buying into a system of beliefs that says absolute truth is a myth. As Christians, we know both that there is truth and that there is absolute. God tells you right in the Bible on various occasions. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does, not, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What? I don't want to divide the word of truth. There is no dividing the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy 2.15, by the way. Our trust in God and his word must be solid without break or else it'll quickly find ourselves without a weapon. No matter how effective the rest of our armor is, we are useless without our sword. And we need to be rightly rightly working within the word of truth, the word of God, knowing what we believe and why. So if your belt has a missing part of it, it's not going to stay on. If it's hanging by a thread and breaks, it's not going to stay on and you're going to lose your, your sword. If you lose your sword, what are you losing? In this metaphor, you're losing your word of God. Okay, so we got to make sure, keep our belt tight. It's on. We got our, our scabbard for our sword. We're good to go. We can go battle. Okay, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Facing the hordes of, and we talked about the breastplate. It covers your torso, protects your innards, right? And so we're going to make sure that we um, understand that we got to put that on as well, obviously. Okay, And so, with that being said, this is what we're going to do. Facing the hordes of Satan, you brace yourself and pray. The hosts of your enemies share a collective malicious grin, waiting for the command to do their worst. They want to do bad to you. They want to harm you. They want to pull you down. Okay, So what the purpose does, um, does the breastplate serve? And for the Romans, the breastplate was a critical part of, of their armor. It provided protection of their torso, which contains all of your vital organs. And without it, a soldier would be asking for death. 
it, it was so amazing. So um, as any attack could instantly become fatal with a, a, a sturdy breastplate, the very um, their swords couldn't penetrate them. Um, and if they didn't have them, or or they were they were thin or, or not good, then uh, the the blow of a sword, a lance, a spear could penetrate. But with the breastplate on, fling, they could shuck them right off, right? So why is righteousness associated with protective armor like a breastplate? Well, in Proverbs 11.4 it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So remember, we're using the armor as a metaphor of pieces of our spiritual armor. So we're going to talk a lot about righteousness at this point. So without righteousness, we leave ourselves open to almost certain death. With righteousness, just as with a breastplate, the otherwise fatal attack of our enemy is blocked. So if we have righteousness on, we're doing what the good Lord tells us to do, we're being obedient, bing, bing, we're blocking, and we're shucking off the attack, okay? What is righteousness? Well, Psalms 119 172. By the way, Psalms 191 is a good uh, uh, verse for healing. Uh, so read that to your over your over your uh, anyone who might be uh, sick or ill. So in Psalms 119, 172, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. So everything God is telling us to do while we're here is righteousness. His commandments to us are righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Awake to, right, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. If you don't have the, 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 the knowledge of God, then how can you be righteous? And you're just going to open yourselves up for the Satan and his little demons to come in and wreak havoc in your life, right? To be righteous is to do what is right in God's eyes. God commands God's commandments are all righteous. In contrast, lawlessness is sin. And sin is the opposite of righteousness. So to be righteous is to obey God's laws and to share his love. It's as easy as that. And in depth, the concorded study of all the scriptures concerning righteousness. There are 301 scriptures in the New King James Version, and it reveals that servants of God in the Bible who had righteousness all had it because they followed God's way. So that means all of the prophets that that were, that were uh, um, got to participate in writing in the Bible, all of the the um, apostles that got to write uh, a scripture and and be in the Bible, they. They got the opportunity to do that because they were righteous. They, Not saying that they were without sin. That's not what I'm saying. But they were working towards and being obedient to what God was commanding or what he commanded us to do. So when they were working through that and they were uh, working towards that perfectness that is almost impossible to, to reach, but one day we will when Jesus comes back, they were gifted by God who spoke into their ears, and they wrote the Bible. Once we have put the breastplate of righteousness on, we must be sure not to remove it. In Ezekiel 33.13, it shows wearing righteousness is not a one-time event. So that doesn't mean you just do a good thing, ooh, good, and I go sin again. That doesn't mean that. Rather, it requires a lifetime of action and a lifetime of commitment. That doesn't mean it's going to be horrible and we got to follow all these rules and it's terrible. No, the rules that we follow are for good. 
the rules that, that, that God asks us to follow is because we want to, not because we're made to, right? In Ezekiel 33, it says, When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, commits sin, none of his righteousness works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. When we leave this earth and we die, if we do not have the righteousness and the love for Jesus, and we have not taken him into his heart, when we die, we die. And that means going south, right? If we continue to be transformed and continue to work in his word and continue to shoot towards the goals that he wants for us on earth, he will fill us abundantly, and then we will live everlasting life. In Romans 3, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, to all, okay, and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying it right there. If we are shooting for what is good in God, and, and we're shooting for what we need to be doing as far as what he concerns us to do, or is, is concerned with us to do here on earth, he knows that we're going to fall short. He knows that we're going to sin. He knows it's going to happen, right? But as long as we're still shooting for that, man, he considers us righteous. So now your feet are with the readiness preparation of the gospel of peace. Now we talked a little bit about the feet and how they were kind of like cleats and how you would form your foundation, form your base and be able to stand your ground. Okay. So we're going to move right into the preparation of your feet and the gospel of peace. So we're going to be talking about peace in this particular part of, now mind you, sandals and, and shoes aren't that, aren't that glorious. Now, mind you women, I understand you love your shoes and that's okay. And I hope they give you a good foundation, right? Because I know you women love your shoes. And that's that's great. I'm glad that you do. A little bit different, okay? Matter of fact, I hope your shoes give you peace. And you're not hurting too bad from them. Because I've seen some of the shoes you women wear. And I don't know why you do it. But anyway, so what is the gospel of peace? Are there different gospels in the Bible? Jesus uh, came... To not only save us of our sins, but to teach us about peace and to love each other, right? So in Matthew 4.23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people, right? Jesus brought peace. He wanted to see that the, the things, the miracles, and the, and the works that he was going to do were going to bring peace to people. Don't tell me that if you got healed from something or someone that prayed for you, that that did not bring peace to you. Of course it did, right? In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he brought peace to us. That's Mark 1, 1, by the way. So when you start getting into Mark, you're going to read right into that. Okay. Ooh, we're moving right along. I think I'm running out of time, but that's okay. Mark 1, 14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And in Acts 20, 24, it says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy peace. 
okay? And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace and of the grace of God. So that's Paul telling you that, or, I'm, I'm sorry, um, that, that's um, talking about the grace of God, again, giving us peace. And in Romans 10, 15, Paul's talking about, and how shall they preach unless they, aren't, they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are those, the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, right? The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of peace. These all come together. These are some of the descriptions attached to the word gospel. Throughout the New Testament, do all these different qualifiers mean that there are multiple gospels set forth in the Bible? No, not at all. The Greek word translated gospel, eugelion, simply means the good news. So, the gospel of peace is bringing the good news of Jesus. Jesus spread the good news around. The apostles spread the good news around above Jesus. Jesus was telling everybody, look, believe in me and you're going to have eternal life. And that's what the gospels are about telling the story of Jesus, but also telling about what he did and why he was sent here to earth, okay? And this does raise a question. The good news of what? The first description uses the Gospels also to summarize all of the others. The Gospel of the Kingdom. The good news of the Kingdom of God includes the good news about Jesus Christ being the King, His grace, or unmerited pardon, forgiveness of sins, right? And His plan of salvation for all, all mankind. This plan gives us peace now, and it will bring peace to the whole world eventually. Talk about the roughest place in the world right now, the Middle East, and what's happening right now. They're signing peace treaty. What? This is the message God's people are eager to share with others. I'm eager to share it with you. It's why I do this. Our loving Father is preparing us all for a future beyond imagination and description. We have no earthly idea what's coming, but it's going to be phenomenal. Is it going to get a little rough before then? Yes. Are we going to make it through it? Yes. So, it's going to be fantastic for all of us. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are you going to call on someone that you don't believe in? I'm telling you, call on him now and start believing and doing what you need to do now. Because when the time comes and it's too late, it's too late. When he comes like a thief in the night to those who don't believe, you're not going to know. Okay? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We mentioned that earlier. God's church is sent to announce the good news of God's kingdom, which will spread his way of peace around the whole world. Having our shoes on, we are ready to move to spread these glad tidings to others. And then the Apostle Paul's day, he walked countless miles in delivering the good news. Today, transportation, communication, it's a little bit easier. I can do this. I don't have to walk miles to go tell everybody about Jesus. I can do this and reach hundreds of people, right? And if you share it, we're going to reach hundreds more. And if they share it, they're going to reach hundreds more, right? We're going to let people know that Jesus is coming and the, and the reason why he came, right? But we must be doing our part to spread the good news. In Romans 3.17, And the way of peace they have not known. How have they not known it if we haven't shared it with them? So we got to share it with them. I'm, I'm asking you, share it with them. Why not? Okay.
In spite of all human attempts at peace, it's clear from the daily news, from internet and everything else that's out there, we do not know the road to peace. But I'm telling you right now, the road to peace is right through Jesus Christ. And he's going to be right there walking you through the fire. 1 John 2, 6, it says, He who says, I'm sorry, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. What? Following Christ's steps in the way to a real peace. So the more that you become like Christ, the more peace you will have in you. All right. So how do the spiritual shoes help us stand firm? I'm going to go through this pretty quick, right? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, uh, 27. That's, Jesus is talking there. So neither let it be afraid. Don't be afraid of all this stuff that's going on. If you believe in your heart, believe in your soul, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, there's no reason for you to be afraid of what's happening right now. The sandals of the Roman soldier often were fitted with nails. We talked about that, right? And in Luke 10, 19, 20, it talks about, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That's why I need good shoes. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall, be, shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You have authority over the spirits that are trying to attack you, and you can pull those spirits out, or in this case, serpents. If you've got pain that's moving around in your body, that's a, that's a serpent spirit in your body. And you can pull that thing out, throw it on the ground, stomp on it with your shoes. Okay, Ladies, if you've got heels, stick your heel right through its head. Okay, Just as shoes allow us to walk on otherwise painful terrain without fear, so the preparation of the gospel of peace allows you to traverse the otherwise painful trials and tribulations of life without fear, knowing that what awaits is greater than anything that we could possibly suffer in this world. Jesus suffered so immensely, we have no earthly idea what he suffered and how he suffered it. So we're going to suffer some things. But you know what? We're going to walk through that fire. He's going to walk through it with us. By the way, that was Romans 8.18. And why is it called the gospel of peace? In Isaiah 2.24. Now it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. These are the non-believers. You're going to rebuke them. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they uh, lean, lean war anyone on anyone. This will happen when Jesus returns and cleanses the earth. That means that when Jesus comes back, we are going to have a thousand years of peace and no one's going to war. That's where they say the lion uh, lays next to the lamb, right? Um, that the wolves lay with the sheep, so that they share the, the same troughs and, and, and so forth. That's because there's going to be so much peace that everyone's going to fall into that category. So, 
actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a little stuck there on that part. But um, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, there's going to be peace on earth. I'm so happy about that. It just overwhelms me. I'm, I'm getting a little emotional right now. But for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is bringing that to us. He's going to bring it to us again. He tried to tell us that the first time, being the lamb, being sacrificed. And now he's going to bring it to us, and he's not going to be as nice. So those of you who aren't quite sure or you're sitting on the fence, jump on the side of the fence where the pool is, right? It's going to be peaceful. And believe me, Jesus will help you get through anything that you're going through. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it judgment and just from the time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's going he's gonna to tear down the vine. He's going to shuck off the ones that are not producing fruit and he's going to throw them into the fire. Produce fruit and have your peace. The Bible makes it clear that when God's kingdom is established and the entire world begins to live God's way faithfully, the resulting peace will be universal. We'll all have it. And there will be no more war, no more fear, no more anxiety. The, uh, the world will, will know peace like it's never known before. And it comes from the way of what God wills for us. So, we've gone through those three pieces. Next week, we're going to go through the other three, and we're going to talk about the Cloak of Zeal, which I'm excited about, because that is some good, good stuff that doesn't get talked about a lot, and Paul doesn't even talk about it in Ephesians, but we're going to go back, and we're going to hear about where it comes from, and it's going to, I'm going to share it with you. So next week, we're going to talk about that, and then so from me to you, I hope you have a very fantastic week, day, or day, week, weekend, right? And I want to pray for you real quick. So, Lord, I just ask that you not only bring righteousness and peace and love and that you share with everyone here that, that your gospel is true, your gospel is right from one cover to the other. And I ask that, Lord, that you put it in their hearts, that you feed them through their minds and through their spirits, that they pick up your word and that they start to transform their minds and they start to understand why it is that you want us to do what you want us to do here on earth. And it's not a bunch of rules and laws and things that we have to follow. It is, but it's because we want to, Lord, not because we're being made to. It's not like we have a, 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 we're kids and we have a curfew, right? It's not like that. It's because you want to bring love, truth, peace, and, and, and righteousness to us, Lord. So I just ask that anybody out there that is, is wondering what it's like to live this type of life and, and, and that, that you bring them to uh, someone who can show them, who can do the prayer of salvation with them. And if, and if you choose out there to do that, do it now and pray that prayer, that, 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 that God that you're putting it on their hearts, that they're, they're a sinner, but they want to come to you and they want to give their life to you. And so I pray that prayer for everyone out there that needs to be saved. And Lord, I just ask that you bless everyone that's watching this or listening to this and that they have an excellent day. And when they wake up tomorrow, they look towards the sky and they think about you and they open up their mouth and they pray to you, Lord. And I pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So next week, we're going to do it again and we're going to talk about it and we're going to love on it. And then we're going to talk about um, more of the um, of those 
those key phrases, those key verses that you can fight off those spirits and fight off those arrows on the week after. Okay, I'm excited about it. I'll see you next time on Glory to God on the Go. My name's Scott. Like us on Facebook. Share it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. There's three little boxes you can share down on those different formats. And I just hope to see you all next time on Glory to God on the Go. Thanks a lot. Talk to you again. Bye.